Good morning, friends. I remember it well a number of years ago. Uh, a member of our church came in to see me. And the first thing he said was, life is pretty uncertain for all of us, isn't it, Pastor? And I said, yeah, I, I agree. He said, but I got a maybe even a more serious question I want to ask you. <clears throat> I said, sure, go ahead, fire away. And he said, uh, how can I know that my salvation, my going to heaven, will still be there when I come to the end of my life. I, I mean, it would be terrible for me to believe in Jesus and then kind of come to the end and discover that he wasn't there to take me home. I mean, how can we be sure? How can we really know? Well, I don't really remember the answer I gave you back a long time ago, uh, but I've been rethinking that as I have been teaching in the book of Hebrews, and as I've decided to write a sermon each week on the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> or from the book of Hebrews. And so today I'm going to ask that question and hopefully answer it, how can I be sure? And uh, we find a very powerful answer in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. And what I'm going to say right off the bat is this, we can we can know now, and when the moment comes, we can die in faith, knowing that the Lord will be there to meet us. Now, here's a sentence that sums up this passage. God gave us a promise guaranteed with an oath that gives us an anchor for the soul that rests on Jesus, who is already in heaven ahead of us on our behalf. Now, I want to take a look at these four guarantees this morning that God makes in this Bible passage. Guarantee number one is God's made a promise. In this chapter, verses 13 to 15, it reads, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, what was the promise Abraham believed? Now, some of you know exactly what that was. I mean, when Abraham was 99 years old, God promised to make him a father of many nations. That's back in Genesis 17. Now, this must have seemed pretty incredible. I mean, 99 is just a little bit late to be starting a family. And even if you could, how can you ever start a nation? So, no, the promise was clearly impossible. It's a pipe dream, just wishful thinking by an old man. But somehow, Abraham believed what God had said. Now, if you go back to Genesis, you find that God repeated this promise five different times. In Genesis 12, Genesis 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, and again in chapter 22. It's as if God is saying, Abraham, I know you find this hard to believe, so I'm going to repeat myself until you believe it. Now, here's the amazing thing. God made the promise when Abraham was 75, but it was not fulfilled until he was 100. That meant he had to wait a quarter of a century to see this promise come to fruition. <laughs> That's the waiting patiently of verse 15. I mean, how did he manage to hang on during these years? I've, I've often thought about that. I mean, many times he and Sarah must have wondered and doubted. At what point they actually even schemed together to help God out, which led to the union with Hagar and the birth of Ishmael, a, a shortcut that brought nothing but trouble. Still brings trouble today. Romans 4.18 says, Abraham hoped against hope. I don't know if you're familiar with the Cotton Patch version of the Bible, but in the Cotton Patch version it says, he kept the faith even when the cards were all stacked against him. Now here's what God said to Abraham. It will happen and it will blow you away 
You only have to wait for it. Now, Abraham never gave up because <clears throat> he was God-centered, not man-centered. As long as Abraham looked at his circumstances, he could find a thousand reasons to give up. I'm too old. <laughs> She's too old. Nothing like this has ever happened before. We've tried to have a baby for years and it hasn't worked. Our friends think we're crazy. See, his only hope was to believe the promise of God, and he did. And after 25 years, his faith was rewarded. Now, friends, this is where faith meets the acid test. Are you willing to believe God even when the outward circumstances argue against it? Now, here's a marvelous principle of the spiritual life. God wants to bring us to the place where our trust will be in him alone. Now, he brings us to that place by removing all human supports at times. From time to time, we find ourselves in a position where only God can help us out. And at that moment, we tend to panic. And that's unfortunate because when we get to a place where only God can help us out, we have become excellent candidates for a miracle from God. That's the first guarantee, God's promise. Now, if God had stopped there, it would have been enough to take us to heaven. But he added something to the promise so that we could be perfectly certain of our salvation. So here's guarantee number two. God swore an oath. Listen to verses 16 to 18. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Now, I think we all understand the basic concept of taking an oath. I mean, every four years in America, we have a presidential election. Uh, after the campaign is over and a victor is declared, that person cannot assume the office until they swear an oath. Now, in a public ceremony watched by millions, the new president must swear an oath to uphold the Constitution. And that oath is administered with the person's right hand raised, and typically their left hand is on a Bible. Now, why do we take an oath of office? Why do witnesses take an oath before testifying? Well, we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, because we're all liars by nature. The oath cannot guarantee a person will not lie, but it solemnizes the occasion so that if the person is found later to be a liar, the penalties will be much greater. Friends, if you plan to lie, don't take an oath. Lying under oath is called perjury. That's a crime that will send you to jail for a long time. So why does God swear an oath? Well, pretty simple. We know God cannot lie. Everything he says is true. The first time he says it, I mean, don't get confused about this. I mean, people take oaths because they lie all the time. God swears an oath because he never lies. We ought to believe God simply on the basis of his promise. But God knew we might even doubt, so he swore an oath in his own name to send a Savior who would deliver us. That's the ultimate meaning of the promise made to Abraham. God always intended to bless the whole world through that ultimate seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you combine the promise with an oath, you get the strong hope of verse 18. But there's one more thing we need to know. Verse 17 says God did this, combining the promise and the oath, because he eagerly desired for us to trust him. Now that phrase, eagerly desired, more literally means even more willing or abundantly willing. 
the Living Bible says God swore an oath so that we might be perfectly sure and never need to wonder whether he might change his plans. See, that's important because we often change our plans. We make promises and then we break them. We say we'll do something and then we do something else. I mean, what if God were like that? I mean, no one could ever be sure of anything. When we mess up and do something stupid, when we say something that hurts our loved ones, or when we lie to our friends or give in to temptation, or when we yield to bitterness, when we walk away from the Lord, we often think, man, I'm not sure if God will ever take me back. Well, friends, if God were like you and me, that would be true. But God is not like us. That's the whole point of this passage. See, God doesn't change, which means he will be there when we need him the most. In the midst of all of our troubles, our trials, our difficulties, when we have failed, when we say, I deserve to go to hell, the Father speaks from heaven and said, I made a great promise and I swore an oath, your sin cannot cancel my grace. Did you get that? Your sin cannot cancel my grace. Well, thank God for his oath. He takes us to heaven in spite of ourselves, but that's not the end of it. We have God's promise and God's oath. Well, now we pass on to the third guarantee of our salvation. And so guarantee number three is God gave us an anchor. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now, everyone has an anchor. The only question is, how well does it hold? Well, if your soul is anchored to money, what are you going to do when the money runs out? If your soul is anchored to a, a friend, what will you do when your friend is taken away from you? If your soul is anchored in your career, what will you do when you're fired? If your soul is anchored in your happiness, what are you going to do when hard times come? And if you're, you put your anchor in the sand, it's never going to hold. Friends, you all need a place for your anchor to rest so it can't be moved. I mean, nothing in this world will ever be strong enough to hold when your life seems like it's falling apart. We need an anchor that cannot be moved no matter what happens, which means we need an anchor that is quite literally out of this world. And that's exactly what we have. Most of us think of an anchor that goes down to the bottom of the ocean, but we have an anchor that goes all the way up to heaven. Our anchor rests in the Holy of Holies in heaven, behind the curtain in the very presence of God himself. And guess who's already there? Jesus. Our anchor has come to rest in heaven, behind the curtain, in the presence of God. And the word forerunner describes a smaller boat that went ahead of a large ship to guide it into the harbor. When the storms are raging, the forerunner boat goes ahead of the large boat and drops the anchor in the harbor so that the large boat is safe during the storm. When the time has come and the storms are past, the big boat enters the harbor also. And in the same way, Jesus leads us home to heaven. All I'm saying is this, you couldn't be safer than you already are because you're already anchored in heaven. See, it's not as if Jesus said, I'm going to show you the way, but then, you know, you're on your own. It's more like this. Jesus went ahead of us into heaven, and then he became the anchor for our soul. We're hooked up with Jesus in heaven. We're as safe as Jesus is safe. <clears throat> now, if we could lose our salvation, that would mean Jesus himself had been thrown out of heaven. But that's never going to happen. That's why the hope of verse 19 doesn't refer to our subjective feelings. It's not like saying, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow night because we're going to go to a football game. I mean, that's just a human feeling. 
It might rain, might not. Our hope is not like that. It's not wishful thinking. Our hope is the certainty that what Jesus has done for us guarantees our entrance into heaven. That's why the hope is called firm. Now, the word means never failing. It comes from a Greek word that combines a word meaning totter or fall or fail plus the word not. So our anchor will never fail. Our anchor will never slip. Our anchor will never give away. Our anchor holds because it rests in Jesus in heaven. That's why a friend of mine once said, I'm as sure of heaven as if I've already been there 10,000 years. And you know something? He was right. It all depends on, if it depends on you and me, then we're in deep weeds because we often fail and sometimes our soul gives way. I mean, sometimes we doubt and sometimes we do really stupid things. If your salvation depends on you, like I said, you're in big trouble. You're in deep weeds. I mean, you're not strong enough or smart enough or good enough or good looking enough to make it to heaven on your own. But when you go all in on Jesus, then God gives you an anchor for your soul. Nothing on earth can destroy. Your anchor will hold through cancer and family crisis and divorce and financial collapse, loss of dreams and every bitter disappointment that comes your way. Our passage then contains one final guarantee. And this is the one that holds it all together. Here's guarantee number four. God provided a priest. Verse 20. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And boy, oh boy, do we ever need a priest. God knew this and that's why he provided an entire system of priests in the Old Testament. It worked like this. God prescribed a system of sacrifices and offerings that the people brought to the priest who presented them to the Lord. There was only one problem with that system. It was never meant to be permanent. The people had to keep on bringing the same offerings day after day, month after month, year after year. And to make matters worse, occasionally priests (laughs) died because they were mortal so that no matter how good or noble or holy the priest was, he always had to be replaced. And so as the graveyard of priests filled up, the people were constantly reminded their whole system was temporary. What they needed was a priest who never died. Throughout all the long centuries between Moses and Jesus, the Israelites kept looking forward to something better, something death could not destroy. The fact that sacrifices had to be repeated meant the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. That river of animal blood could never meet the deep needs of the heart. It it just symbolized something better that had not yet come. God solved the problem in a most unusual way, one the Jews could never have imagined. They needed an undying priest. They needed a complete and final sacrifice. And that, friends, is why God sent Jesus. He was the priest who was himself the final sacrifice. Because he died for the sins of all, his sacrifice was complete. Because he rose from the dead, he now lives forever. Verse 20 says, Jesus is a high priest forever. He will never be replaced because he lives forever. His sacrifice ends all other sacrifices. His death defeated death death once and for all. No one will ever take his place. So friends, this means we can never lose our salvation because Christ lives forever. Let me never let me say it another way. If anyone could lose their salvation, we would all lose ours too because it doesn't depend on us. It all depends on Jesus. And what can you depend on? 
Not your perseverance, not your good works, not your good looks, not your faith, but only in God. Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 20, assures us our salvation rests upon God alone. So just think for a moment about what God has done. He made a promise. He swore an oath. He gave us an anchor. He provided the priest. What more do you need? What more could you want? See, it's all grace, all the time, in every situation, for every person. We are going to heaven because of what God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That answers the question, how do I know my salvation will be there when I die? It will be there because Jesus will be there because he's a priest who lives forever. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. So, friends, if you want to go to heaven, you need to know him. I mean, there's no other hope. There's no other way. I mean, God has done so much and has gone so far that if you go to hell, don't blame the Lord. He's made a way for you to be forgiven. He offers you a new life. He's going to give you a fresh start. He'll walk with you through this life. He'll take you home to heaven. All he asks is that you trust his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 18, the writer of Hebrews describes Christians as we who have fled for refuge. That's me. That's you. That's us. That's what it means to believe. That's how you become a Christian. If you want to be relieved of the awful burden of sin and doubt and fear of the future, if you want a refuge, if you need an anchor for your soul, friends, run to the cross. Run to the cross. Lay hold of Jesus, the Son of God who loved you and died for you. Lay hold of Jesus and never let go. No one, absolutely no one, will ever regret trusting in him. And when 10,000 years have passed, you'll still be singing. Amazing grace. Well, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.